0: This should be the biggest week of the year for movie theaters. Instead, many of us will spend the holidays at home watching brand new films on streaming services like Netflix and HBO Max, and theaters will sit empty. It's the coda to a year that has rocked industries and created new habits that seemed impossible just one year ago. I'm Alex Ewell, welcome to The Readback. This season, we're doubling down on the past, jumping further back into the archives of barons to explore why companies, ideas, and industries thrived, even as others fail to meet their promise. In our frenetic news cycle, those stories are quickly forgotten, even though they hold valuable lessons for the future. Today on the show, why it didn't have to be this way for movie theaters. Almost exactly one year before COVID-19 brought the movie theater business and the rest of the economy to an abrupt halt, one of Hollywood's most successful franchises was coming to an end. The world has changed. None of us can go back. Avengers Endgame was the last of the long-running movie series for Marvel. As it opened, AMC announced that select theaters around the country would stay open around the clock all weekend, so more fans would have a chance of getting opening weekend tickets.
1: Finally tonight, billion-dollar blockbuster. Marvel's Avengers Endgame shatters box office records, bringing in... In
0: 1. today's world, billion- it's almost hard to imagine. So many people wanting to be in the same place together. The movie made $357 million in its opening weekend in the U.S. alone. Altogether, it made $2.8 billion worldwide. That's billion with a B. But Endgame, perhaps fittingly, was as good as it would get for the box office. In last week's episode of The Readback, we talked about the big blockbusters that had driven movies to record numbers in recent years. If you didn't catch it, you might want to go back and give that a listen first. We talked about the film industry's resilience throughout the century, from the Great Depression to threats like the advent of television and streaming. The pandemic is just the latest hurdle, but this one might be different. And that's because with movie theaters closed and streaming services like Netflix and Disney Plus thriving, Hollywood finally started rethinking some sacrosanct ideas, like the fact that films start in movie theaters. For decades, no one dared upset the status quo, and anyone who tried was promptly brushed back by the powers that be. When home videotapes hit the scene, followed by pay-per-view films and ultimately streaming, Hollywood found a way to keep the theaters in the driver's seat. They would get exclusive rights to films for a period of time, usually months, before anyone else got a shot. This so-called theatrical release window kept us all going to the theaters, even with plenty of options at home. As technology kept coming, the movies kept their place at the front of the line. But even Hollywood couldn't fight the pandemic. The first sign came in March in the form of trolls.
2: With movie theaters across the country shuttered by the coronavirus pandemic, the trolls are streaming into people's homes. (laughs) Reportedly earning $100 million in the first three weeks as a premium video on demand offering. AMC says it will no longer play Universal Studios films in any of its theaters worldwide. That came on Tuesday after NBC Universal, which owns Universal Studios, said last month it would release films for home streaming the same day they're released in theaters.
0: Movie theaters have been looking to Universal's troll sequel as one of its big 2020 hits. But with theaters closed, Studios decided to try something new. People were given the option to stream Trolls World Tour for 20 bucks at home. It gave the industry permission to make some changes. As the pandemic wore on, the traditional window began to crack. And then, earlier this month, it was shattered.
2: This morning, the battle lines are drawn. Warner Brothers pulling off an unprecedented move in the pandemic. Announcing all 17 of its films for 2021 will be released in theaters and on Time Warner's HBO Max streaming service simultaneously. For no extra charge to subscribers.
1: The world has changed a lot since we last spoke.
0: That's Paul Dargarabedian who you might have heard in last week's episode. He's a media analyst for Comscore and a 30-year movie industry veteran. So I saw those headlines and we wrote about it, obviously, and I'm like, oh my goodness, we've gotta gotta at least get you back on the phone and get your thoughts on this. I really appreciate that. Christopher Nolan has spoken and he ain't happy. (laughs) Christopher Nolan is a director of blockbusters like Inception, multiple Batman films, and most recently, This Summer's Tenet, which faced its own release saga. Over the course of his career, according to Box Office Pro, Nolan's box office haul has come to some $2 billion in the U.S. and nearly $5 billion worldwide. You've got some of the top filmmakers in the world, some of the biggest stars kind of waking up to find out, you know, they thought they were making these big movies for the big screen. And now $2 billion worth of movies are going to be used as a loss leader for a fledgling streaming service. It's a huge
2: bait and switch.
0: Warner Brothers has said the move is only for a year and called it a win-win-win, but Nolan clearly didn't buy the spin, and neither did investors. Shares of major movie theater chains AMC and Cinemark fell 16% and 22% on the news. It got me thinking. No one could have really predicted the pandemic, but theaters had years to adapt. Could this all have been avoided? The theaters tried better sound and 3D films. Then came cocktails, gourmet food, and stadium seating. It's all been nice, but none of it really moves the needle. The theaters have remained at the whim of studio releases and blockbuster films. That's ultimately what drives people to the movies. It's not like people haven't pushed for change. Take serial disruptor Mitch Lowe, who's been at the center of multiple efforts to dislodge the movie industry's stubborn ways.
2: I have spent the greater part of my career trying to get people to watch more content, whether it's online or on cassettes or DVD, and I'm still working on different ways to explore how content gets made and distributed.
0: Mitch's story starts back in the late 90s when he joined the executive ranks of a new company trying to shake up the video rental industry. Instead of driving a Blockbuster, the idea was going online to pick your favorite movies, which then got mailed right to your house.
2: There's a better way to rent movies. As many as you want for only $17.99
1: a month and no late fees.
0: That company, of course, was Netflix. It became the first stop on a long road for Mitch. I
2: later got recruited by McDonald's Ventures that had this crazy idea that if they rent DVDs at McDonald's, They'll create an incremental visit when you have to return the DVD.
0: That idea became Redbox, a kiosk-based video rental company that at one point accounted for 50% of all DVD rentals in the United States. Redbox, which still exists, is a great example of just how hard Hollywood tries to defend its turf. Rather than allowing a kiosk to rent its DVDs as soon as they became available, the studios decided to stop selling them to Redbox altogether.
2: We came up with some, you know, interesting solutions. What we did is we gave credit cards to our field employees and every Tuesday, they went and hit every Walmart, every Target, every Best Buy, every place you could possibly buy those titles. And they essentially swept the shelves. I mean, we were buying 100 and 200,000 copies of the hit movies taking them back to our little mini warehouses, prepping them and putting
0: them in the machine so that our customers, you know, wouldn't suffer. It wouldn't be the last time that Lowe found himself at the center of a Hollywood fight. Then
2: I got recruited by a guy named Chris Kelly, who was the chief privacy officer at Facebook, to come in and run one of his investments, which was
0: MoviePass. In terms of Hollywood disruptions, MoviePass was one of the loudest. If you think the cost of movie tickets are too high, we've got a deal for you.
2: Actually, the offer comes from a startup run by a co-founder of Netflix.
0: MoviePass is now promising a month's worth of movie tickets for about the cost of a single admission. Founded in 2011, MoviePass was a subscription-based movie ticketing service. Mitch took over as CEO in 2016. Shortly after, the company became a household name. If only briefly. MoviePass was testing different price points for its subscription, which essentially provided unlimited access to the movies. Eventually, the company landed on a crazy price, $10 a month to see a movie a day. In other words, for the price of one traditional movie ticket, you could see 30 movies a month. We
2: launched the nine ninety five across the country, one flat price, and that's when you know, the growth started. We, in eight months, we grew to 3.2 million paid subscribers.
0: For Mitch, the idea was to do away with an a la carte model for movies. Netflix was already proving the power of a subscription model for content, and other companies were doing the same for software, razor blades, and pet food. Why not going to the movies? Mitch says he wasn't trying to put one over on the film industry. Quite the opposite. In fact, he saw it as good business for the movie theaters. They got paid full price,
2: you know, as if you were a customer with a credit card. We paid them full price, and then we bore the cost difference between the subscription and the number of tickets.
0: Some theaters were plenty happy with the idea, including Russell Levinson, the independent theater owner we talked to last episode. Russell remembers when MoviePass arrived on the scene. First,
1: we didn't know what to do with them. You know, nobody really told us anything. But you ring up a ticket just as any other credit card, and it just charges that credit card, the you know, the full ticket amount. And we started to see more and more and more of them. And actually, I eventually wound up buying one for myself because it was just so cheap that I could go to the movies, you know, closer to my house when I wasn't working.
0: Russell wasn't the only one signing up.
1: I started telling customers, yeah, go ahead and get, go get MoviePass. You guys are coming three, four times a month you're better off getting movie pass. For an independent theater, we weren't fighting with movie pass at all. We were getting if I if I had a ten dollar ticket and I got a movie pass credit card, it rang up as ten dollars and it
0: went right into our account just like any other credit card. Wow. Okay. Plus you got paid for the concessions that then people would buy. We found that movie pass customers were more
1: likely to buy more concessions because they felt I think there was a feeling that, oh I just got a free ticket or I just paid almost nothing for my ticket. So maybe I'll get a popcorn or so.
0: But if the moviegoer wasn't paying, and theater owners like Russell weren't paying, who was actually funding the whole thing? Well, that was the issue. Here's how Mitch explains the math. In concept, at least. MoviePass was on the hook for every ticket used through its subscription. The plan was that the average subscriber would see two films a month, a cost of roughly $20 for MoviePass, $10 more than it made from the subscription. That difference was part of the plan, though. The company intended to bridge the gap with various things, from advertising to monetizing its data to partnering with the major movie studios on discount deals. MoviePass, for its part, thought it could help theater chains expand their market. And if you were studying the idea in business school, on paper, there might be some logic to it all. But in reality, the big movie theater chains hated it. They wanted to control the relationship with their customers. And they didn't like the idea that their product you know, the movies, were being cheapened through an all-you-can-eat $10 charge. As the theaters pushed back, MoviePass started to run up against economic reality. The more subscribers it got, the more money it was losing. That became increasingly problematic for Helios and Matheson, the publicly traded company that had acquired MoviePass in 2017. The parent company tried multiple things to stem the MoviePass' losses, including selling more stock to investors. That rarely goes over well, especially for a struggling business. By 2018, things were so dire that MoviePass had to give up on what made it popular in the first place. A movie a day became three movies a month, and the company began adding asterisks. Huge blockbusters began to be excluded from the plan. At one point, MoviePass even raised its subscription price by 50%. Customers, not surprisingly, weren't happy. Class action lawsuits were filed, the crowd-pleaser had become a target for years of frustration around movie theater pricing. The big movie theater chains also started fighting back. Cinemark launched its own subscription service called Movie Club, while AMC followed with something called Stubbs A-List. As if things weren't bad enough, by 2019, MoviePass had lost 90% of its customers. And then, finally, in September last year,
1: MoviePass
2: announcing it will shut down tomorrow and that it's not sure if or when it'll launch again. Parent Helios and Matheson Analytics saying its efforts to recapitalize the company have not been successful and it's forming a strategic review company. It did seem too good to be true and it has turned out to be.
0: MoviePass liquidated the business early in 2020. Lowe and MoviePass dreamed big, clearly too big. And the financials weren't in their favor. But MoviePass tapped into something real. People love the movies, despite years of high ticket prices forced by battles between movie studios, actors, feeders, and producers.
2: The theaters just keep playing studio content because they don't do anything but play the content that the studios promote. So they kind of are almost slaves to the studio system and the. Studios have this model where you have to pay them at least 50% of the revenue at a
0: minimum. Behind the scenes, movie theaters were being forced to fill their screens with certain kinds of content. And that ultimately hurt their ability to adapt and their relationship with customers. After all, why is it that all of these theaters, with their huge screens, great sound, and comfy seats, were limited to showing movies? So much valuable real estate was arguably being held hostage by Hollywood.
2: Movie theaters have not understood that consumers don't just want two-hour movies from, you know, the big studios. But the executives of these theaters need the studios, and the studios were worried that this might begin a kind of a transformation or an expansion of the content that theaters would play and therefore an unpredictable revenue
0: future. Meaning like maybe the theaters would start playing sports or TV shows?
2: Exactly, exactly. I mean, there's huge trends for shorter form content. People do like getting in front of a big screen, but why does it have to be a two hour movie?
0: Mitch says that's why movie theaters were losing their relevance before the pandemic, not because of new competition from Netflix and Disney+. The
2: streaming services are really, you know, what the theaters believe killed them. And they just kind of buried their heads in the sand.
0: To be fair, no amount of adapting could have kept theaters open during COVID. But think about how a subscription or other efforts could have increased loyalty with customers. Movie theaters could have found a way to connect with people in their homes. Imagine a monthly new release streamed exclusively on an AMC or Cinemark app. The bottom line is recurring relationships with customers rather than one-off transactions would have put movie theaters in a much better place. Paul Dergarabedian, the industry analyst for Compscore we spoke with earlier, agrees that innovation is needed, and he thinks movie theaters have realized it.
1: It is now time to accelerate not just the conversation on how theaters do business, but actually accelerate those strategies by putting them in place. This is a big wake-up call for every industry that has done business in the same way for decades, and I think they'll be leaner, meaner, and smarter going forward because of it.
0: As we've learned from startups and industry stalwarts, from Peloton and Weight Watchers to Nintendo and Microsoft, there are lots of different ways to solve a problem in business. If customers want to see movies in theaters, we can be confident of two things. Someone will figure it out, and investors and consumers will come along for the ride. Thanks for listening to this season of The Readback. You can check out the whole slate of episodes if you've just joined us. If you've been listening for a while, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also email us at Barons.com. Thanks to Russell Levinson, Paul Degarabedian, and Mitch Lowe. And for more coverage on the future of movies and all stripes of innovation and disruption, you can check out barons.com. I'm Alex Yule. The Readback is produced by Meta Lutzhoft and Katie Ferguson. Melissa Haggerty is our executive producer. And special thanks this season to Sean Luttrell, Laura Salaberry, Rebecca Bisdale, Shana Mishkin, Brian Price, and Bob Rose. And even more thanks to my family for endless patience as I recorded these episodes from home. This is the last episode of this season of The Readback. Thanks so much for listening. We won't be gone long. Tune in next week for a peek at what our next season has in store.